Um, so as Curtis said, we're starting um, a new theme on Thursday mornings called uh, A Man in His Prayer. And this morning, I'm going to talk about a man in praying for his family. And so probably one of the greatest assets that God gave me when I was born was that I was born to Christian parents. I don't take that for granted, and I don't take that lightly. Um, and not just Christian parents, but praying Christian parents. They began to pray for me before I was even conceived. Even the decision to have me was bathed in prayer. And this asset has not expired. Even after almost 47 years, my 78-year-old mother prays for me daily. Jesus created the local church to be his hands and feet for corporate worship and as a clearinghouse to send his gospel into the world. But even more so and first, he created the family. And the family is the building block of the church, and it is no surprise that the central focus of the enemy to wage war against the church. When I told my father, uh, who was an ordained Southern Baptist minister, that I was going to seminary and exploring a call to full-time ministry, he told me, son, remember that God ordained your marriage and your family before he ordained any ministry for you to take on. And that is how important the family is to God, to us, and the enemy. Let me pray for us real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, as we delve into your word today, we ask for open hearts and clear minds to understand this lesson that you have for us. We pray that you help us to better protect and pray for our families, recognizing the power that comes from seeking your face together. <clears throat> Guide us to be vigilant in prayer and in action, and just as Nehemiah and his people were, in Jesus' name we pray. So this morning, we're turning our attention to the book of Nehemiah. Specifically, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. And our focus will be on the need for prayer for our families. We're going to be focusing on the need for prayer for our families. We're going to be focused on the enemies that are ready to attack our families and the power of praying for our families. But before we dive into our text, I want to kind of give us a backstory. The nation of Israel has been held in captivity in a foreign land for 70 years. They were allowed to return to Jerusalem in three stages. And Nehemiah leads this third group, and his focus are on the walls around the city because they're in shambles, they're in ruins, they were destroyed. His job is to rally the people into a building campaign. In chapter 1, Nehemiah prays and God answers. In chapter 2, God moves Nehemiah from the affluence of, of Persia to the devastation of Jerusalem. In chapter 3, we're introduced to those rebuilding the wall. Because everyone was working hard, this, the construction project was really zipping along. But when we come to chapter 4, things start to get a little more problematic for Nehemiah. So starting in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were re rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian officers, what does this poor, this bunch of poor feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices 
Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to half in its height around the city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what is happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work, with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we were widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our Lord God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside of the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with the guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. So we have a need for prayer. In this day and age, the need for prayer for our families cannot be overstated. As we navigate through the complexities of life, the power of prayer becomes our guiding light, our source of strength, and our shield against the adversities that threaten to disrupt the harmony of our families. The story of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall despite the ridicule and threats from his enemies is a powerful illustration of this truth. So let's look at Nehemiah's prayer. This prayer was not a one-time act. 
but a continuous conversation with God, a constant seeking of his guidance and protection. And this is a lesson for us today. Our prayers for our families should not be limited to crisis of, or to times of crisis or need. Instead, they should be a regular part of our daily lives, our continuous dialogue with our Heavenly Father, seeking his guidance and his wisdom and his protection for our families. Prayer is the lifeline that connects us to God. It is through prayer that we invite God into our families, into our homes, and into our lives. When we pray, we acknowledge our dependence on God, recognizing that it is He who provides our needs, it is He who guides our steps, and it is He that protects us from harm. Prayer is a powerful tool that God has given us to communicate with Him, to express our fears, to express our hopes, our joys, and our sorrows. Prayer is also a demonstration of our faith in God. When we pray, we express our trust in God's ability to provide for our needs, to guide our steps, and to protect us from harm. We acknowledge that God is in control, that he is sovereign over all things, and that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. According to his power, that is at work within us. Prayer is also a means of spiritual warfare. In the face of ridicule and threats from his enemies, Nehemiah did not resort to physical violence or retaliation. Instead, what did he do? He turned to prayer, seeking God's protection and guidance. This is a powerful lesson for us today in a world where our families are under constant attack from various sources whether it be societal pressures, moral decay, spiritual warfare, prayer serves as our first line of defense. It is through prayer that we can seek God's protection, guidance, and wisdom to navigate through these challenges. Prayer also provides unity within the family. When we pray together, we are united in our dependence on God, in our faith, in his ability to provide guide and protect in our desire to seek his will for our lives. Prayer brings us closer together as a family, fostering a sense of unity, love, and mutual respect. Unfortunately, there are enemies that are ready to attack. In the passage we read, we see that Nehemiah and his people were not just building a wall. They're facing a lot of opposition, ridicule, and threats from their enemies while they were doing it. Sanballat and his associates were ready to attack, to hinder their progress, to discourage them. And this is a clear picture of the spiritual warfare that our families face today. Just as Nehemiah's enemies were ready to attack, so too are the enemies of our families. Who are some of these enemies? Well, first and foremost, obviously, the devil himself. The Bible warns us in 1 Peter 5, 8, says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil just seeks to destroy our families, to sow discord, confusion, and strife. He is the author of lies, the Bible says, and the father of confusion. He wants nothing more than to see our families broken, divided, and far from God. 
There are two main types of attacks that the devil uses. One is a set of problems that come from us, that come to us from the outside. The other set attacks us on the inside. Let's first look at external causes. The wall workers were initially excited. It says that when they began the work, they began it with great anticipation and joy. It says of them in verse 6 that the people worked with all their heart. Things were going well. The people were getting excited. The wall was going up, but then something happened. Getting the work started on the wall was a major achievement, but keeping the workers working proved to be a much tougher assignment. It's been said that exhilaration is the feeling you get just after a great idea hits you and right before you realize what's wrong with it. Where God is at work, the enemy is also at work. When people take kingdom priorities seriously, Satan stirs up agitators to block the work of God. Likewise, if you're going to focus, if you're going to focus on building the faith of their family, you will be attacked by Satan. Satan shoots us at us externally, but he also tries to subvert us from the inside. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I see three weapons of war that the devil uses here in this, this chapter in Nehemiah that we see. The first one that he uses is fatigue. Verse 10 reads, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers are giving out. Simply put, they were tired. They were hitting it hard, and they needed some rest. The phrase giving out carries the idea with it that they were staring, that they were twittering, and that they were stumbling, that they just physically couldn't go on anymore. And when you are physically drained, it is very easy to become discouraged at the slightest problem. It's also interesting to notice that when the workers became fatigued and discouraged, Verse 6 says that the wall was built to half its height. You know, when you first get married and you start a family, everything feels bright. The world is your oyster. But as time goes by and reality and life sets in, the devil knows that the halfway point is the time to strike because that's when we're most exposed. When the honeymoon wears off and life and work become routine and boring, it's easy to become fatigued. And when you're tired and it's easy to become discouraged and to begin to think that you will never finish the job or even want to finish the job. Verse 10 says, we cannot rebuild the wall. They were ready to throw in the towel and the trowel. These are the same people who are described in verse 6 as those who worked with all their heart. And I'd be willing to wager that many of us here this morning are annoyed with our family. We're tired of always having to fix, inspect, teach, admonish, and continue to build, laying brick after brick after brick. Another thing is frustration. Verse 10 says that there was so much rubble 
that they cannot rebuild the wall. They became discouraged because they were so exasperated with the situation. I'm sure they were encountering old broken rocks, dirt, dried out mortar, and other debris that was scattered about. The trouble with rubble is that it is everywhere. And my guess is that your family has a ton of it. Mine does. We all have some level of dysfunction in our home. A relative with a substance abuse problem, a loved one dealing with addictions, someone filled with resent, bitterness, spouses who are self-protective and distrustful, and then another with anger problems. It all too often feels overpowering and immobilizing because the enemy attacks are relentless. Quickly, the third thing that Satan used here was fear. The enemies of the Lord had struck fear in the heart of God's people, and they felt like giving up. They were now surrounded by foes to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. Another entity that attacks our family is the world and its system. The world's standards, values, and priorities are often in direct opposition to God's. The world promotes self-sitterness, materialism, moral relativism, and all of it can lead to the breakdown of the family values and relationships. These human enemies started with ridicule in verses 1 and 2. It says, when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and many of them got so angry that they surround the wall workers on all sides. Let me make an obvious point here. It was God's will for the wall to be built, but he did not remove the opposition that came with it. He did not remove the opposition that came against them. Likewise, there will always be conflict and challenges in our homes as well. The enemy of the flesh, the sinful nature that resides in each one of us can lead to selfishness, anger, bitterness, and a host of other destructive behaviors. And if we leave those unchecked, these can cause serious damage to our family relationships. We have to stay vigilant just as Nehemiah and his people did. They didn't just pray. They also posted a guard. They understood that prayer and action go hand in hand. John Piper once said, probably the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Prayer is not just about asking God for blessings or comfort. It's a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare, a means of calling on God's power and protection against the enemies that we seek, that seek to attack our families. As we recognize these enemies and understand their strategies, we can better pray for and protect our families. And we need to understand these enemies are real and these enemies are powerful, but our God is infinitely more powerful as Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? With God on our side, we can stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, knowing that he is our protector, our shield, and our fortress.
prayer is a powerful tool that God has given us to communicate with him. It is a way for us to express our deepest desires, our fears, and our hopes. And when we pray for our families, we are essentially inviting God into our homes, our relationships, and our daily lives. We are acknowledging our dependence on him for guidance, protection, and provision. In Nehemiah 4, we see that prayer was a crucial part of the strategy for rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah and his people didn't just rely on their physical strength or their strategic planning. They also relied on God. They prayed to him for protection against their enemies, and they trusted him to help them complete the task at hand. And this is an example for us today. When we pray for our families, we are not just asking God for help. We are also expressing our trust in him. We are saying, God, we can't do this on our own. We need you. We trust you. This kind of prayer not only invites God's power into our situations, but it also strengthens our faith as we see him working in response to our prayers. Prayer for our families unites us in a very unique way. When we, when we pray together, we are sharing our hearts with each other and we are sharing our hearts with God. We are expressing our love for each other, our concern for each other, and our hope for each other. This shared experience can strengthen our bonds and deepen our relationships. Prayer for our family helps us maintain a spiritual perspective. It's easy to get caught up in the daily grind, the physical needs and the worldly concerns, but when we pray, we are reminded that there is a spiritual battle going on. We are reminded that our families are not just physical entities, but spiritual ones as well. We are reminded that our ultimate goal is not just physical well-being, but spiritual well-being. Prayer with our family, prayer for our family can have a powerful impact on our children. When our children see us praying, they learn about the importance of prayer. They learn about our dependence on God. They learn about our trust in God. They learn about our love for God. And these lessons can have a lasting impact on their spiritual development. Prayer isn't just a casual conversation with God, but a powerful weapon we can use to protect our families. Just as Nehemiah and his people prayed and worked to rebuild their wall, we too must be vigilant in prayer and action to protect our families. Let us not underestimate the power of prayer. Let us not be complacent. Let's be like Nehemiah, praying and posting guards, ready to defend our families from any threat. Let's build our family altars and see how they can alter our families. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and what you have hopefully taught us today. We pray that as we leave here this morning, we carry these lessons in our hearts. Help us to be vigilant in prayer and action to protect our families from the enemy. 
We ask for your guidance and your protection as we go about our daily lives. God, help us to lead our families. Forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we get tired, when we get frustrated, when we're afraid. And God, forgive us when we just don't care. But Jesus, most importantly, let us be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.